Fantastic. We are in Daniel. Uh, my name's Dave, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm on the team here, and it's always a privilege and a joy to preach the Word of God. Uh, we have started a series on Daniel. We are working our way through Daniel verse by verse. If you missed last week, Daniel 1, we are looking at a tale of two kingdoms. Daniel was a real person who lived in a real time. These are real events that really took place, right? But underneath the historical realities of Daniel's physical walk is a spiritual battle. We see outplay the spirit of Babylon versus the spirit of God. And we see that this is not just a, a physical Babylon. Yes, there was King Nebuchadnezzar, but that same spirit that was at work in the garden will be at work to the end of time. We're in Revelation chapter 18. Uh, Jesus says that he's going to come back and he is going to cast down that great spirit, the spirit of Babylon. So in between, the spirit of Babylon is at work in our world and we need to recognize that. And fundamentally, Christ's call to his church is to come follow me. Jesus didn't say, come get your tickets. He's not going, tickets, tickets to heaven, come grab a ticket. Oh, you've got one, now go comfortably sit on the side of the chair and wait outside of the realities of this world. No, it is a call to following. It is a call to living as Daniel lived in the midst of Babylon. And so when we read Daniel, we need to grasp these truths and the lessons that he would have for us, not just see it as an old historical tale that's irrelevant. No, this is as relevant today as it has ever been that the people of God would take hold of what God is saying in this book that we might live well in the midst of Babylon. That though this spirit is at work, the spirit of self-worship, which is rife in our world, that we would learn to live as servants of the Most High God. So there is much to be gained from this. The, we saw last week, ultimately God is on the throne. Christ has won the victory, but we're in a battle. And that battle is a battle over identity. That battle is a battle over truth. It is a battle for souls. And one of the greatest weapons that the enemy is using, the, the Babylonian spirit, one of the greatest weapons is the weapon of comfort, pleasure, abundance, wealth and prosperity. That is the weapon of Babylon. We see that at play 2,600 years ago. We see that at play right now in our day where wealth and prosperity leads to comfort and complacency. And so God is calling us out of that and he's calling us to a walk of obedience a walk of boldness. And my spirit has been stirred this week. I read in Judges chapter 3, just in my own devotional time. Um, do you know the Lord, when, he, when Moses came and then Joshua came, and then after the time of Joshua, where they inherited the promised land, and then uh, they, they walked into these nations, and God promised that I'll give you these, and then obviously Joshua passes away, and there's this season of Judges. In Judges chapter 3, God says that he actually left uh, enemies in the land for the specific purpose of training. Listen to this, uh, Judges 3 verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. See, God understands that the spirit of Babylon wants to exploit our comfort because comfort breeds complacency. And if unchecked, what does complacency lead to? Compromise. And so by allowing some conflict, which we're seeing in our world right now, and we're seeing actually in the church, where the church has all of a sudden been confronted by the things of the spirit of Babylon, there's actually, God actually will allow conflict that we might be sharpened that we might be readied, that we might actually know what it means to fight instead of just being these weak, pathetic little Christians waiting for our ticket to heaven. Rather, we would be the warriors that we have been called to be, that we would take up our sword, that we would take our stand against the devil's schemes, that we'd put on the armour of God, preaching already. <laughs> and we'd be ready to swing the sword in this world, that we would not be complacent but we would walk with conviction in the midst of Babylon. That's Daniel chapter 1. That we would be a people 
of conviction, walking in the power of the Spirit for the kingdom of God. We're in war and we must be ready. Don't be surprised that there is stuff coming against us because God's readying us for battle. Chapter 1, done. Chapter 2, 49 verses. Somehow I'm trying to fit it into 40 minutes. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's stand to our feet and we're going to pray and get into this incredible word. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and active. Thank you that it is true. Lord, we ask that you would do immeasurably more than we could hope or imagine. Speak to us, Lord. Pierce deep, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Lord, put in us a word that will remain, that will bear fruit for a lifetime of walking and following you. Take my mouth, take these words, take my spirit, anything of me, may it fall to the ground and may you speak, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Take a seat. For those of you note takers today, I, uh, I've got a title and I'm riffing off of someone who's far more eloquent than I. Uh, and the title of this message is, I've had a dream. And some of you are thinking Martin Luther King Jr. But he said, I have a dream. I'm actually riffing off Walt Disney with Tangled. I've had a dream. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what is that to say? Um, many years ago, we, when I was just a, just a, a young buck, uh, we used to visit this place called Toto's Pizzeria down on Winston Avenue. I don't know if anyone's been to Toto's recently. I don't know if it's still there. I think it might still be there. But it used to be able to go to Toto's and you'd have all-you-can-eat pizza. It cost us about $8, right? So we would frequent there on a Sunday evening after church. Down we'd go to Toto's. All-you-can-eat pizza. They, he did this chicken and pineapple pizza that was just on point because pineapple definitely belongs on pizza, friends. <laughs> preach, shepherd. Preach it, mate. Come on. Hello to everyone online, by the way. You can lock that in your comments. Do you like pineapple? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Great to have you with us. So we'd go and we'd have all-you-can-eat pizza. The thing about Toto, he said it was all-you-can-eat pizza, but when he decided that we'd eaten enough, he just stopped serving. So we'd be sitting there, these young men, like, hungry, wanting to eat more food, and he'd just sit right next to us. He'd pull out his newspaper, he'd cross his legs, and be like, hey, mate, can we have another one? Just flat-out ignore us. And we're like, all right, I suppose we're going. And all of a sudden, he could hear us again. Oh, fantastic, and he'd go and pay the bill. Anyway, Toto's Pizza... There was something in that thing that when you finished that experience, it was delicious, but you know when you get so full, but you're so thirsty, you desperately need a drink, but you can't drink because your stomach's going to explode. Anyone been in that place? Sin of gluttony. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> I'm kidding. We used to be in that place, so you'd eat so much, but you're so thirsty, and like the longer the night would go along, you just want to drink, but you can't drink because you feel sick, so you'd go to bed, and when you went to bed, you'd have a dream, and that dream was what we call the desert mouth dream, anyone been there, where it's like scenario after scenario after scenario where you're so thirsty, like you'd, you'd be in your schoolyard, and you're just looking for the drink fountain, and you'd find it, and you're drinking and drinking and drinking, but you just can't quench your thirst, and then that scene would end, and you'd be in a different scene, again, you're like, I just need a tap, and you'd put your head under the tap, and water in your mouth, and you just couldn't quench your thirst, until eventually you'd wake up, and you'd wake up, you'd go to the kitchen, you'd just get like a liter of water, and you'd just scull that thing, and eventually you'd go back to bed and about an hour later you'd have another dream. <laughs> I've had a dream. The point of this story is that some dreams are physiological. Some dreams are physiological. Some dreams are not significant. It's just because you had too much pizza. Some dreams are because you had a violent vindaloo and that's why you're dreaming about a dragon blowing fire in your stomach, right? Some dreams are physiological. Some dreams are emotional. Some dreams are because you're stressed about stuff. You've got a big presentation due or you've got something coming up. You're starting at a new school. You're starting at university. Something's happening. I used to have this dream that before every year school started, I've told you this before, where I'd be freaking out. I'd get in front of the class and that all, no one had listened to me. Matt knows what I'm talking about. You probably had the same dream. They're yelling. They're disobedient. I'm like, listen to me. Listen to me, Tommy. I'm like... And they would just ignore me. And then I'd get crosser and crosser. I'd start slapping tables. No one's listening. I'd pick up chairs and throw chairs at kids. And they're still not listening. I'd end up picking up like tables and throwing it through windows. And it would smash. And, 
And then I'd like wake up, I'd be sweating and flush. I'm like, oh, thank goodness it's just a dream. <laughs> Same dream every year for about 10 years, the week leading up. That's emotional. Because I'd get to school and be like, oh, that's right, I do know how to do this. <laughs> and I've never had a kid make me throw a chair or a table through a window. Like, it's just stress. There's some dreams that are emotional. But, friends, there are dreams that are spiritual. And there are some dreams in our household, we call them God dreams. And a God dream is different from any other dream. A God dream is where God actually comes and he speaks specifically to you. I'm standing here today when I was 16, 17, I think almost 17 years old, end of year 11. God gave me a dream that changed my life. It was a dream that just took the gospel and just locked it in my soul. I'd been asking the question, why Jesus, I'd grown up in a Christian home, I didn't understand grace, I couldn't grab it, and God gave me this dream that just blew my mind, I was like, oh, God will speak to you in dreams. Now, quick segue, there is a, a movement in Christian faith, there are brothers and sisters who don't believe that God still speaks this way, that's called cessationism, we don't think that. Well, you might think that, you're still welcome to be a part of this church, but I'd love to have a conversation with you. Because I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that when God sent His Spirit to empower His church, He didn't just stop that when we got buildings. No, no, He gave us His Word, and God will never speak a word beyond His Word, because He said a word above Himself, but He will still speak to us to reveal the truth that's written and hidden in His Word. Are you with me? You know, God can speak through a donkey. He can certainly speak through a dream. And so God is on the move. Some dreams are spiritual. And as we come to this text today, we realize that Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. Chapter 2, verse 1. And that dream has caused an issue. That dream has caused an issue. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. This means it's not just a one thing. He had this same dream over and over and over again. Night after night, he wasn't sleeping. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers, the wise men that we learned about last week, to tell him what he had dreamed. Now, did he forget the dream? No. If he'd forgotten the dream, he wouldn't be stressed. The fact that he's had the dream night after night after night after night means he knew very well what he had dreamt. So there's a strategy, which we're going to hear in a second. Tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it is. Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. He's had a dream. Here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar was unreachable by anyone else. Nebuchadnezzar sat on the throne of the greatest world power. He sat on the throne of the nation. He is the king of kings at this point in history. No one can touch him. No one can overthrow him. No one's allowed in his presence unless he permits it. No one can get to Nebuchadnezzar. But here's the promise of God is that when no one else can get to you, God can get to you. The person that you're praying for, when it seems like no one else can get to them, God can get to them. So you keep on praying. Because God doesn't need to send a person. God doesn't need to come with a huge army and rattle Nebuchadnezzar's cage. He just sends a dream. One dream and Nebuchadnezzar is tormented in mind. One dream and it causes Nebuchadnezzar to rally all the wise men of his nation. Remember, these wise men, it's not a few folk. This is the best and the brightest. These are the leaders from every nation he has conquered. This is an enormous number of highly intelligent people, PhDs, professors, like these guys are the leaders in everything. History tells us that this region actually was coming up with mathematical discoveries about a thousand years before the Western people who we claim invented stuff actually decided and, and figured it out. These are geniuses. He brings all of them into his court and says, I've had a dream and I want to know what it means. This is the, the astrologers, the, the wise people's response. Verse 4, the astrologers answer the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided, friends. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses into piles of rubble. That's a tough boss. 
Are you with me? That report wasn't good enough. I'm going to kill you and your whole family. I'm going to burn your house to the ground. Like that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. That's the sort of kick he is. Do you think people are intimidated by coming into this man's presence? The answer is yes. You don't just roll into Nebuchadnezzar and be like, G'day man, how you going? Oh, those power, they were good on the weekend, weren't they? You don't have that conversation with Nebuchadnezzar because if he doesn't like a haircut, he'll cut your head off, right? That's Nebuchadnezzar. So the king replies, this is what I've decided I'm going to do all this stuff. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Tell us what it is. We'll run it through our books. We've got all these, all these learning about how to interpret dreams and signs and things. Just tell us what you saw. We'll put it through our lens and we'll tell you the answer, Nebuchadnezzar. The king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. He's a psycho. <laughs> you have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, listen to this, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. Watch this, and they do not live among humans. Underline, circle, highlight, Asterisks, we're coming back. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to, be, to put them to death. Okay, here's what I want us to see. First and foremost, interesting fact. Chapter 1 and 2 verse 1 through 4 is written in Hebrew. At, at verse 3, at verse 4 to the end of chapter 8, end of chapter 7, sorry, it's written in Aramaic. Then it will jump back into Hebrew. Why do I tell you that? Because it's interesting? Yes, because it also says something about what we're dealing with here. What we're about to see here is actually a really powerful way that the spirit of Babylon is going to respond to the move of the spirit of God. And then we're going to transition and we're going to look at Daniel and we're going to see how the Spirit of God engages the Spirit of Babylon. You see, the Spirit of God has come and spoken to King Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar is going to this Spirit of Babylon, the Spirit that is in the enchanters and the astrologers. He's going to them and he's saying, tell me the answer. What does the Spirit of Babylon do when confronted by the power of God? It freaks out. Because it can't do it. Lesson number one, the imitation spirit, the counterfeit spirit, the counterfeit kingdom, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom that, that will display its glory and, and tell us its false truths and say, this is how you should live. This is what's good. This is what the world should be. That is a lie. of It's not of God. This is contrary to the word of God. This kingdom, when confronted with the kingdom of God, is powerless powerless. You are going to see that it is inept, that it is irrational, and that it is impotent, which means powerless. Look at the astrologers, look at these wise people when they hear what the king says and they give what seems a logical thing, yeah, just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it is. And he's like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that, you tell me. You know, this is like waking up one morning and your wife's angry with you and then you're like, what's wrong? And she goes, you tell me what's wrong. <laughs> Doesn't happen in our household. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> That's what it's kind of like. And you're sitting there going, I don't know what's wrong. I'm just a guy. <laughs> Who's with me, man? Sometimes we don't know what's going on. This is what's going Like They're like, tell us. You just tell us and we'll help you out. And he's gone. He's like, nah, you tell me. You tell me what's going on. They're like, we don't know what's going on. You tell me what's going on. Then we can tell you what's going on. 
And it just goes back and forth. And so they're completely powerless in this place. They don't know what to do. It is an inept spirit. The devil's men can interpret the devil's work, but the devil's men can never interpret God's work. Only God's people can interpret God's work. Because only the Spirit of God can actually display truth. And that I read this and I was like, man, Nebuchadnezzar's irrational. And then I realized, actually, this part is very wise on his part. Double parted. It's actually wise because what he's saying is, if I tell you the dream, you can just put it through your lens and you can tell me whatever the heck you want to tell me and how do I know what's true? This is a powerful moment here. This reveals that God actually has put a seed in Nebuchadnezzar that desires to know truth in the inmost parts. Or you're going to see later on as we go, God is going to slowly reveal himself more and more and more. Like I said last week, my Old Testament lecturer used to call him Uncle Neb because he thought like with all conviction that Uncle Neb got to that place of humbling himself before the King of Kings because God had put in him a seed that said, I want to know truth. Nebuchadnezzar understands that truth is not subjective. Hear me. Some of you are like, stop talking philosophy. No, this is the pervading philosophy of our day. We must grasp it as the church. Because every battle we're fighting, everything we're talking about in our world at the moment, fundamentally comes down to an understanding of what is true and who gets to determine right from wrong. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no, no, there is a truth. Now, if you are able to discern truth, you will also be able to discern my dream. Because the one who is speaking truth will reveal truth to those he wants to discern it. Does that make sense? And if that's the case, then I'm not telling you. You go and find out and you tell me. And they're like, well, we don't know what's true. All we have is our books. All we have is our learning. We'll tell you that. And he's like, well, that's not good enough. Then he becomes irrational. He's like, I'm going to kill you all. And they're like, whoa, that's... That's very uh, over the top, Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, no, it's not. I'm going to slaughter all of you. And what we realize is that in a single dream, if this had happened, if Nebuchadnezzar had slaughtered all the wise men, he literally would have destroyed his own kingdom. Because all he would have been left with was people who could do dumb stuff. (laughs) You remove all the leaders... And the people will perish is what scripture says. So God actually sets up a scenario here through a simple dream. He's like, you're going to destroy your own kingdom. That is how ridiculous this is. That is how irrational the spirit of Babylon is. That is how impotent the spirit of Babylon is. And because they can't answer the question, he's like, that's it. And he starts rallying all of them. He doesn't just kill them individually. No, no, that's not good enough. He wants to rally all of them in one place at one time so he can invite the rest of the nation. He can slaughter them all in a moment and so that the whole world will know you do not cross Nebuchadnezzar. That's how powerful I am. I can kill everyone like that. Thanos. Goodness me. This is what's going on. But then the page turns a little bit, right? Verse 14, we come to what we're calling Daniel's intervention. Look at how Daniel behaves. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel at this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now, just before, watch the difference. The sorcerers, the people, uh, the leaders of Babylon had come before the king so uh, confused by what they were trying to solve. What they're after, they're saying, no, change what you want to do. Change what you want to do. You tell us the dream. You tell us the dream. They're saying, we can't do it. They're freaking out. Right? They've lost composure. They've become anxious and irrational, full of fear. Daniel comes in and instead of asking the king to change, he recognizes what's in the king's heart, this pursuit of truth. He recognizes that while he can't do it, he serves the living God. And if anyone can reveal truth, it's the king of truth. It is the truth, the way, the truth and the life. And he goes, all right, give me some time. 
He doesn't say, no, no, you change your way. He's like, I see you. I'm coming back to you. Just give me a moment. And another translation says, ask for a time, which is fascinating. This idea that Daniel would actually come and go, mate, at a particular time in the future, I'm booking an appointment. All right, I'm going to lock in an appointment and I'll be back and I'm going to have the answer for you. The confidence of Daniel in his God. The difference between the leaders of Babylon and the leaders serving in the Spirit of God. It's a leadership lesson for us. If you are a leader in this place and you are anxious, you are inconsistent, you are up and down, if your people walk into a room and they don't know if they're going to get yelled at or loved on, then you are not leading under the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, when it rests upon a leader, that leader is consistent, that leader is thoughtful, that leader speaks with wisdom and tact. May God grant that to us in Jesus' name. Daniel speaks with wisdom and tact. He takes his time. Watch what he does. That's the intervention. Look what happens next. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his, not mine, they're his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. What does Daniel do after he intercedes, after he comes, uh, sorry, he intervenes, he intercedes. After he intervenes, he intercedes. Fundamentally, the one weapon that we have against the world is prayer. Prayer. You're like, Dave, you're talking about prayer again. You talk about it all the time. That's because it's powerful. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Laura and I were chatting about it. Joe, Laura and I, the other day, just talking about prayer. And she was just sharing this revelation she had when Jesus is turning the tables in the temple and he's furious and he's angry. And he says, my house will be known as a house of prayer. I was like, wow, that's so awesome. Because when I look at the church today, are we known as a house of prayer? I think we're known as a house that sings songs, we preach, we gather, we do life. That's, that's all good. But are we known as a house of prayer? Because fundamentally, that's what we should be known as. And you know, we see the persecuted church, right? A church in China, a church in Iran, which is predominantly young people. God is revealing himself to them in dreams, He's coming to them in dreams. He's opening their eyes to his lordship. They're getting saved. And what are they doing? They're waking up at three in the morning, four in the morning. They're hiding in caves and they are praying. And they're praying not for their own protection. They are praying for the Western church. That in our freedom, we would wake up and start to be who we've been called to be. Start to be a people who would not compromise because of comfort be a people who would not be complacent, but rather we would be a people of great conviction. And it's time for the church to pray, to intercede. And look at this. This is a shameless plug for life groups right now. Daniel doesn't pray alone. He gathers his boys. He gets together with his boys and he goes, boys, we've got a problem. There's an issue that actually needs some intervention. So we've got to get into some intercession. There's an issue that needs intervention, so all that's left is intercession. Can you pray? Get on your knees. And like I said, I don't know how long they prayed for. They could have prayed for five minutes, ten minutes. They could have prayed for ten days. Who knows? Could have been months even. We don't know. All we know is that they prayed. And all we know is that out of prayer came revelation. As they waited on God, as they spent time humbling themselves and praying, as they gathered together to pray over the problem, God brought revelation. And after the revelation came praise. 
And this is so important because so often we pray about stuff when we're in trouble and then when God brings the answer, when God actually takes us out of that situation, we forget to praise him for his answer. And we just go on with life. But here's what happens. If we forget to turn revelation into praise, it will result in pride. And if we don't turn revelation to praise and it causes pride in our heart, then that's going to cause complacency, which is going to lead to compromise. Daniel turns revelation back into praise. Praise is so important because it keeps us in the place of intercession. When we praise God for what he's doing and what he's done and what he's going to do, it keeps us on our knees because we realize fundamentally we cannot do it alone. And over and over and over again, what we will see is Daniel every time, I can't do it. I don't have the means. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the capacity, but God does. In your situation, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're facing, whatever stronghold is in your life, whatever struggle is in your life, come to a place of prayer. Gather your people. If you don't have a people, get a people and pray. Call them to pray. Pray together. Pray for your school friends. Pray for whatever that situation is. Pray for your kids. Pray for your parents. Pray for this church. Pray for our world. Pray for our leaders. Let's be a people of prayer. Believing that in prayer, God brings revelation. Come on, somebody. We need to pray. This is the witness of Daniel of how to live a life in Babylon. Be a people of prayer. Don't freak out. Don't start running around, ah, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Daniel doesn't lose his call. He's the least anxious presence in the room. There's a lesson for leaders. Be the least anxious presence in the room. He's calm, he's composed, but his posture is on his knees in prayer. Would we be that people too? So we see this. They pray, God brings revelation, and out of the revelation comes this. Verse 24. This is going to be a long section. Are you okay with that? All right, if you need to stand up and spin around and sit back down, do that. But here we go. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Pause, segue. Isn't that funny? Here's Arioch. Daniel's come to him and said, I've got this. And Arioch goes to the king and is like, I have found the man. Can you see the difference in spirit? Daniel's like, this is the spirit of God. The spirit of God says, I humble myself before the king. God did this. The spirit of Babylon says, look what I have done. So Ariok comes before the king under the spirit of Babylon, seeking his own gain, seeking his own profit, yeah, seeking his own prosperity, that the king will be like, oh, Ariok, what a man. Daniel just comes humbly because he wants to see the spirit of God move on the king. And so Ariok comes in pride. The king, then Daniel approaches. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, don't let what the world put on you get in you last week. Hashtag watch it. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Listen to Daniel's reply. No, wise man. <laughs> in charge of a magician or diviner, diviner can explain the king the mystery that was asked about. Just imagine Nebuchadnezzar's face right here. Ariok, I've found the man. King. Oh, Daniel, can you tell me? He's like, nah. <laughs> I love it. Nebuchadnezzar's probably like, his head like steam coming out of his ears. He's freaking out. He's like, what? He's like about to blow up. Oh, I just got dizzy. <laughs> and then Daniel's like, no, I can't do it because it's not about me. This is a tale of two kingdoms. There's your kingdom. This is the spirit of God that does this. He says, no one can do this, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. Watch this. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Again, not me. Can I just make sure you're aware, Nebuchadnezzar? It's not me. Don't lord me. Don't 
come after me, go after him, Jesus' name. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty would know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its bellies and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. I kept saying braked in the last service. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. Underline, circle, highlight, asterisks were coming back. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all, like, were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. What happens when the Spirit of God comes and starts to engage in the spirit of Babylon is that the Spirit of God is going to bring insight that no spirit of Babylon can ever bring. God is going to use you. He's going to bring you and position you in a particular pace that He might use you to bring insight into someone's life and someone's circumstance that they would never have been able to have without you there. Not because of you, but because the Spirit of God is at work in you and wants to bring that person under the Lordship and authority of Christ. They're already there. He just wants them to bow the knee and know whose they are. The Spirit of God brings insight. Insight. What the heck does all of this mean? Well, let's carry on. And now we will interpret it to the king. Not only does the Spirit of God bring insight, but it'll actually bring interpretation. It will bring wisdom. It will bring understanding. We saw the Spirit of Babylon, impotent, inept. We see the Spirit of God. It brings insight and interpretation. How good is that? So here we go. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. That's who you are. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. And in the time of those kings, circle, underline. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. It will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. What was Nebuchadnezzar seeking? Truth. And its interpretation is trustworthy. What the heck? What is all this? Let's put that image up there, Lukey. This is what it is. Did you know that Babylon, which is a real empire... About, well, we said 70 years, it lasted, Daniel outlived it. And what came after Babylon? The Medo-Persian Empire. Interestingly, we see the statue of gold. Babylon was known as the nation of gold, the empire of gold. It took all the gold, it plundered the gold from every nation. It was the richest, wealthiest, most prosperous empire that the world has ever known, right? That's Babylon. What comes next is the Medo-Persian Empire. They come in and they overthrow Babylon. Interestingly, Medo-Persian, two arms on a statue representing two parts of an empire. And they were a great empire and they ruled, but they weren't, uh, they weren't greater than Alexander the Great. 
Because after the Medo-Persians came Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. Guess what the Grecian armies used to wear as their breastplate? Bronze. What was the Grecian army known for? It was known as the Empire of Bronze. Wow. So we see the Grecian Empire come and overthrows the Medo-Persians. But that won't last that long because what comes after them comes the Empire of Rome. Rome is known as being this dominant, powerful, all-pervading, crushing empire. Iron, which would just destroy people with a strong fist. However, interestingly, Rome, because it became so large and so mighty and so powerful, Rome actually ended up being very much divided. It ended up having this son and this son and this son take certain parts of the empire. They started fighting and warring amongst each other. They become so divided that they effectively imploded. They were strong, but because they were so broad, they became weak, strong, but brittle. Are you seeing this, friends? You're not as excited as you should be. This is what we read prophecy like, oh, that's interesting, Dave. (laughs) Daniel's prophesying this to a king and the next 600 years just unfold exactly as he said it would. Exactly. And then it says, while these kings, in the midst of these kings, as that last Roman Empire was established and ruling over the earth, who was born? Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say to Peter when he established his church? He said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this, he's not talking about Peter being a rock, he's talking about Peter's confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. On this confession, on the confession that Jesus is Lord, I am the King, I am the King of Kings, and that is the rock that will shatter every other nation, that will lay down every other kingdom. That is the rock on which we stand. Hallelujah. He is the stone the builders rejected who has become the capstone. That is who Jesus is. The rock is the messianic kingdom, friends. The messianic kingdom that has come in. Babylon has fallen. Medo-Persia has fallen. Greece has fallen. Rome has fallen. But the kingdom of God lives forever. And it's been established in Christ. And he came and he's unlike every other ruler who set themselves on thrones and said, look at me. No, he became the very nature of a servant and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's in his suffering and in his death that he liberated all humankind and he established his eternal kingdom. Come on, somebody. This is our God. And we've got to understand when we're talking prophecy that because the rule and reign of Christ started 2,000 years ago, He is coming back. The timeline is collapsed. His promise is that He's coming back. And when He comes back, all the nations of the world will bow their knee to Him. Do you know, after Rome, there has never, ever been another nation that just obliterated everyone else's boundaries. It stopped. There's been, never been another like world power like that. We have our superpowers, but never one like Rome, never one like Greece, never one like Medo-Persia, never one like Babylon, but we have Christ. And guess what? The prophecy is true and trustworthy. And so when we look back and we go, oh my gosh, Babylon fell. Who could ever have imagined the head of gold falling? No one. Medo-Persia fell. How could they fall? Oh, not not Greece. There's no way Greece has fallen. Rome? Rome's not falling. All of them shattered. Like dust on a threshing floor in the summer. Who's still standing? The rock of ages who splits time and has established himself as king forevermore. Friends, what is the word to us in season? The word is the same word that this brought Daniel, confidence and courage. Daniel comes before the king and he is bold. Daniel comes before the king and he is filled with faith. He is not trembling. This same king who takes people's heads off because they can't give him an answer, he comes with courage. Why? Because God has revealed the beginning from the end. And he stands in that faith. Come what may, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I know what God said. I know what God has spoken. The same is true for the church. 
We are supposed to arise. We are supposed to be filled with the Spirit. We are supposed to be pursuing the things of God in the, in the midst of Babylon. We are supposed to be strong. We are supposed to love the least of these. We are supposed to wrap up those who are broken and weak and weary. We are supposed to go to the orphan and the widow and show love where Babylon would never show love. But we are also supposed to stand with conviction against the lies of Babylon and proclaim truth in the inmost parts that the world would know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that in Him they are free. We're supposed to have confidence, confidence, confidence in Christ. That's what Daniel had. We're going to see next week, Sammy G's preaching next week. I'm very excited about it. But we're going to see what this same Spirit does for these three boys as they get thrown into a fire. Unashamedly, they say, well, come what may, we might die, but we know who our God is. And we will not compromise the convictions of truth because they know the beginning from the end. Would we live like that church as we live in Babylon? Would we live like that? Oh, look at the time. You know, in Acts chapter 4, this has been on my heart real heavy, so we're going to go there. Acts chapter 4, we see Peter and John who have just been, just, God's just healed someone through them, right? Just healed someone. And then the Sanhedrin, the leaders, the religious people, bring him before them and say, you can't do that. And they warn him and say, you're not allowed to do that. And then in verse 23, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and report, they went to their people. Ha, just saw that. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our holy father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? What the heck is Babylon? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel and the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness to not compromise to hold our conviction stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus and after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly they never once prayed for protection They never once said, God, just keep me safe. God, keep me from trouble. Keep me from strife. God, I just want to be comfortable. They never prayed that. They prayed for boldness. Give us boldness, Lord. This is the prayer of the church in this generation. It must be our prayer. We are the first generation in history, my generation, that hasn't had the pervading threat of war over us. My father, with the Vietnam War, could have been conscripted at any time. But for me, they just send others to go and do that. I'm comfy for the first time in history. And yet maybe God is allowing some conflict in our nation that we would actually rise up spiritually. That we would be prepared for the battle in the same way that He left nations in Judah. Jesus is Lord. And watch, at the beginning I said, circle this and underline it. The rock hewn not from human hands. Christ is from God. This is prophesying a virgin birth. This is prophesying a kingdom instituted by God Himself. And He says He's not going to come from human hands. It's a different kind of a kingdom. But guess what? Those astrologers said no one can reveal truth like this. No one except for the gods and they don't live among humans. Ah, guess what? Our God came. Our God came. And that is the God who brought revelation to Daniel. The God who does dwell with His people. The God who does not leave His people alone. The God who will never forsake His people. But is with us unlike every other king. He is Lord. He is King. And the church needs to come back to that profound understanding. Begin to walk in His authority. Why can Daniel stand before the king? Because he bowed his knee to the King of Kings. We will not survive Babylon if we don't bow our knee to the King of Kings. 
But when we learn to bow our knee before the King of Kings, oh, who knows what God will do? Insight, interpretation. And you know what happens at the very end? Influence. Daniel gets promoted. Daniel gets promoted. He's like, you can be the, you're the boss. You can take, you. But in all of that, Daniel never once becomes full of pride because he keeps his knees on the floor before the king of kings. You know, the kingdom of Babylon will elevate you to eradicate you from kingdom influence. Where's all the other Hebrew men? It wasn't just four of them. Where have they all gone? They're all eating at the king's table, enjoying the fruits of Babylon. Babylon will elevate you to eradicate you from kingdom influence. God will elevate you to empower you for kingdom influence. The difference in how we behave is our posture. We're either on our knees before the king of kings or we're saying, look at me. I for one want to be found on my knees. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship because that's what Daniel did. That's how we survived Babylon, not just survived Babylon, but influenced Babylon, prayer and worship. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to come before our King of Kings now at communion. And the kids are in and they're going to come and join us. So if you want to take communion with your kids, you're very welcome. You can grab them in a sec. We've got gluten-free at the back. We're going to take time. The band's going to play. They're going to sing. You go and do what you need to do. Come and worship the King of Kings. Come bow your knee before the King of Kings. Come and be still with the King of Kings. Honour Him for all He has done. The Rock of Ages, the one who has established an eternal throne forevermore. So we take communion, we take the body and the bread. We pray and we give God the glory for His kingdom endures forever. Stand to your feet. Let me pray. Loving Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. God, we just pray that you will imprint this on our hearts today, that we would know that 2,600 years ago, you brought about a prophecy to four young men who humbled themselves and prayed so that they would have courage whilst living in Babylon to know the beginning from the end. And you have brought that prophecy to fulfillment. We live in that fulfillment. So now may we, may you empower your servants to live with that same confidence And that same courage to know that in Christ is the victory. We love you. We honour you. We worship you. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's take communion, friends. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.